Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome Frank Emery to the podcast. Welcome, Frank. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Frank, you are product manager of AI at Fix Software. Now, for those not familiar with Fix, you guys are a CMMS. You know, that's the soft, that's the CMMS that I originally used when I first got started in maintenance. Although at the time it wasn't called Fix, it was maintenance assistant. So this is going way, way back. <laughs> um, but although super brief, Frank, what can you tell us about yourself and Fix? Yeah, definitely. Um, so a little bit about myself, you know, I've spent probably the last 10 years working with software companies trying to figure out how to use data. Um, interestingly, growing up, my my dad actually used to work in, in maintenance and reliability. So it's kind of a throwback to, to going to work with him. Um, but I've really spent the past year here at Fix helping them figure out how to use all of the data they have to, to kind of make maintenance technicians' lives a little bit easier. Um, you know, AI has come a really far away in the past decade or so. And there's a lot of stuff we can start doing now with the data we have at our disposal um, that, that we've been excitedly working away at for the past year. All right. Excellent. And what we want to talk about today is really using that work order data to make a well-rounded and effective PDM program strategy. Lots of things in there. Now, before we dive too deep into making that work order data work, what is work order data? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it, it comes up a lot when we're talking to people. Work order data is basically sort of the easiest way to think of it is all of the things you type in to a maintenance system or even on paper that help us define what a work order is, how you're going to do it, when it's expected to be done. And so some examples might be, you know, the tasks associated with the work you're doing or who's assigned or when you might expect it to finish or how long it'll take. And all of that data kind of makes up what a work order is. Um, you know, one of the interesting things is even the name of a work order or maintenance request is data that we can pull from and learn from. So it's all the different fields, like you said, the description, how much time we spent, the date it was opened and completed, parts that are in there, comments, failure codes, all those things is work order data that we can use. Absolutely. And there's a ton of it. All right. Perfect. So how important is having work order data? I've seen a lot of organizations that they don't put in time to complete when it was completed. They just hit close. Like I've done the work. I'm done. That's it. How important is all having all that information? You know, it's it's really critical. The way I think of it is it's almost like, you know, not wearing your glasses in the morning. So if you're doing things and you don't have that data telling you, you know, what you did, how it went, how it's going to go next time, then you're wandering around without your glasses. You know, you're not going to know what's working, what's not working. You're not going to be able to find issues in your processes or figure out where teams are doing great things um, that you can cross-pollinate. Uh, so it really is quite critical to how teams operate. All right, perfect. Now, with that, there is a lot of data we can put into work orders. And, you know, the one thing I try and balance is being pragmatic about that with our technicians based on is it, are they using a console or are they using mobility, mm -hmm. those types of things. What type of data are we really looking for in work orders? If we had to be a little pragmatic, which 
What is the most important data? For me, I find the most important things when we're looking at this are what's the problem with the asset you're looking at? What did you do to fix it? And how long did it take? Uh, I think those are sort of the core fields we start looking at. And then everything else really just helps describe those three things. So, uh, you know, if you look at a task list, that's really important because it says what you did to fix the problem. And then with those tasks, you have all of those stuff like parts or durations or assignees that are helpful. But if you don't have that task list or, or what broke, then you can't really do anything else from there. All right, perfect. So really, what was the problem? What did we do to fix it? How long did it take? And then, you know, like you said, everything feeding into there, the parts, the different skill sets or people that work to fix it, those types of things all feed into that. Exactly. Yeah. It all rolls up to those three big fields. All right. Now, one of the challenges I've seen out there in industry is making sure that the data we enter is consistent, accurate, repeatable. I think that's a major challenge because as people use free text fields, those types of things, consistent, accurate, repeatable might not always happen. So how do we make sure that this data meets those needs so we can really leverage it? Yeah. And you know, there's two ways to look at this. Um, I would say the the first thing to do in order to make sure that data is high quality is you got to make it easy. The second, it's hard to fill this stuff in or it takes time or someone's got to like fill in a form before they go home at the end of the day. The second that barrier is up, they're not going to do it. And so in order to make sure there's good data in there, you have to make sure it's easy to get in there and it fits into someone's routine. The other side of it is you need to have tooling in place to figure out when there's bad data in there. So if you know that your technicians aren't filling in data correctly because it's too difficult, then you need to be able to have a mechanism in place to say, how do I fix that so I can still make the right business decisions going forward? All right. So in my experience, one of the ways that I have seen making data collection easy is with the use of drop down failure codes, mm-hmm. um, you know, and not just that, taking it one step further. So it's linked to the type of asset that we're talking about. So if it's a pump, I only see failure codes specific to a pump, not electronic components and various other things. Is that one of the ways we make it easy? And, you know, I'm sure that's not the only one. So how else do we make it easy? Yeah, you know, that's that's a great one, right? Like make all of the data that's there contextual. Um, some other great ones are make autocomplete features available, spell checks, things like that. Um, I know mobile's huge. So being able to fill this stuff in on your phone is a great way um, to also make this stuff easy to do. And, you know, weirdly making it fit into someone's process. So it's all about muscle memory. So if you make it so that filling in data is just part of someone's daily routine, that's also going to make it a lot easier to do because it's going to be something you remember to do. All right. Perfect. I like the mobility piece, building into the process, all great things. Now, once we collect that data, how does that help develop and create a well-rounded PM strategy? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, you know, you look at what a good PM strategy is and it's all about, you know, culture, data, technology, process. And, you know, where data comes in is it's making sure that you know, the culture is working, is being adhered to, the process is working. It's all about helping you figure out where those gaps are and where you can improve things. So if you can think about it, when you look at building a good PM program, you know, data is that thing that lets you know what's working so that you can go back and make those adjustments. Data is the thing that lets you know that it's the right program instead of the wrong one and you're getting the results that you need. Okay, perfect. So it's really helping us evaluate the results, making sure that it works. Now, how does one develop that well-rounded PM program using work order data? 
Are they looking for certain trends? What are those trends? That type of thing. Yeah. And you know what? There's actually some great use cases we have um, from this from customers I've talked to. And really what people are doing is they're using this data to figure out where processes are failing and not failing. And I'll kind of give you an example. So we were talking to one um, fellow and he had a, a PM that he was doing on his assets. So sort of a weekly PM and he found it was too big. Uh, and so he's looking at the work order data and he was saying, hey, you know, every single time we do this PM, no one finishes those last two tasks because it's just too much work. And so they went in and they're able to use that to retool their processes and say, well, these last two tasks, it's too much work. Let's do those monthly instead of weekly. We'll break up that PM and it'll be more achievable. And that's the kind of thing that data is going to help you surface in building out those good processes. Um, you know, another good one is which assets actually need maintenance or not. So you can look at your work order data and figure out, hey, you know, this asset has never had corrective maintenance done to it. You know, we're probably over PMing it um, or under PMing it if you see that too many work orders are being logged for it. And so it kind of helps you understand your environment and, you know, what's going on with your assets, what's going on with your teams and how to adjust from that. All right. Perfect. Now, are there any rules of thumb, thumbs you guys use for those sorts of things? I got two that I generally follow, but I'm curious if you have others. Um, you know, for us, a good rule of thumb is, you know, and there's some ratios, I, I don't have them handy, but you should be seeing, you know, at least some corrective maintenance coming in there. You don't want to have it so that you're only ever doing PMing because it's probably over-investing. Um, I know that's a big one we look for. Uh, the other one we look for is how consistently you're actually doing your PMs. So if you're never actually getting around to them, you know, that's probably also a sign that there's some process problems. And then finally, just making sure that you're doing the full body of work. Uh, that's an issue that we see crop up a lot when we talk to our customers is the PMs are coming in, but you're not actually finishing the whole thing. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL blended learning for maintenance and reliability professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Yeah, so it's similar. So I always look for a couple ratios. I use a one-to-one ratio for traditional PM activity. So if we spend an hour doing a traditional PM inspection, we should generally be creating one hour of follow-up work for corrective. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot higher when we go to PDM because obviously PDM, a lot less intrusive, a lot less time consuming. So we generally look for two and a half to three times as a result of that. Um, that gives us a good labor distribution in our opinion on, you know, what striking that balance between over PMing, under PMing, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. So are there any other specific trends people should be looking for in their work order data? Uh, I think one of the really interesting trends that we see as well is around data quality. Um, So usually when we work with customers on work order data, we ask them to keep an eye on, you know, is the data consistent and, you know, have an idea of what the ideal work order looks like and is the data matching that? Uh, Because that's going to give you a good feel for whether or not these data collection processes you have in place are even going to give you the data you need. And lets you know if you can trust the decisions coming out of it. Um, so that's a big trend that we look for there. Uh, and then, you know, how often is stuff like rework coming up? How often is stuff like, you know, 
delays from parts not showing up, things like that are the big trends that we ask people to look for because that all ties into whether or not you have more downtime than you really need to be having. Yeah. So you're looking at work order data quality yep. and then you're looking at essentially logistical issues that delay PMs or repairs and those sorts of things, right? So we got to fix yeah. the data quality side, but then also fix our support and logistical systems. That's exactly it. Yeah. Now, how do you define data quality? Because there's a lot of different opinions on what data quality is. So what do you mean by you're looking for trends in data quality? Is it missing fields? Is it misspellings? What is it? Uh, you know, it's it's both of those and a little bit more. So when we look at data quality, we look at, are you filling in all the fields you need to be filling them in? And are you filling them in correctly? Um, so, you know, you might hear about people doing pencil whipping a lot where they know that someone's going to run a report and see if this field's missing. So they randomly fill stuff in. And so in that case, fields are getting filled in, but they're getting filled in with the wrong data. And that's just as bad as not filling them in. And so it's really both of those. You want to have that consistency in terms of what you're filling in and then consistency in terms of how you're filling it in. Uh, and the reason why is that you can actually make those informed decisions. And so as an example, if you, you know, you're working on an asset and, you know, you just want to fill in your work order really quickly. And so you say you used 10 parts just to kind of like get the work order out of your way. And usually you're filling in two parts. Well, that piece of information is going to really throw off everyone else working around you because they're going to say, well, you know, what happened here? Now the inventory count is off in our parts room and this work order costs a lot of money and all this other stuff starts to happen. And so we're really looking for those two things when we're looking for data quality. Yeah, I had a technician who would always pick the seventh item down on the drop down list <laughs> because wow. if it was always the first or last, we would be able to figure it out. But yeah. according to him, if it was lucky number seven, we'd never figure out that he was always picking the same one. Yeah. Yep. We see that a lot. <laughs> so what would you tell those that are either work, looking to improve their work order data quality or improve their, yeah, really improving their work order data to improve plant performance or PM strategies, those types of things? You know, it's it's a tough one, right? When we look at how do you improve data quality, because it, ultimately it comes down to culture. Like you can have the best tools and processes in the world, but if you have a team that doesn't value the data or kind of see the value come out of that data, then you're always going to have problems. And so you want to make sure there's that feedback loop around, here's why we need the data, here's why it's important, and reinforce that culture. And once the culture's in place, it's just reinforcing that consistency and making sure the people are doing the same things again and again to build that muscle memory. Okay, so it comes back to the culture once again, and really making sure that we reinforce those behaviors we want to see, rewarding those things. Yeah, I agree. That's one of the biggest challenges is, you know, we can make it as easy as we want, but if we don't reinforce those behaviors, no one's going to do it regardless how easy it is. Exactly. You know, I, I think I was reading it last week, culture kills strategy every single time. So yep. you need to start with that and then work backwards. Yep. Absolutely. Now, what is the one thing you think makes the biggest difference in being successful with work order data? We talked about culture, but is there a technology piece or something else in there that makes a big difference? Uh, I think that certainly nowadays more than before, the thing that's going to make you most successful is the technology that lets you go through it. Um, and so there's obviously a ton of data that can be generated and it's really time consuming to pick out the signal from the noise. And so to really be successful with work order data, you kind of have to go in knowing either what are the metrics you're going to look at or what's the tooling that you're going to use in order to clean up and read through this data. Cause it can be, you know, massive quantities. We've talked to some of our customers and they've said that they have teams of people reading Excel reports. 
And so if you want to be successful, you have to make sure that you don't need a team of people reading Excel reports to action the stuff. Yeah, I think that's absolutely key. Uh, trying to manage uh, free text comments, yeah. data mine that, that's a nightmare in the making. Um, so failure codes, I'm a big advocate of having predefined failure codes by asset class and type. So not mm-hmm. is it just pump, but if the asset is a, a centrifugal pump, failure codes are specific to that centrifugal pump. Um, makes it easy, makes it yep. more meaningful. Because in the past, I had technicians where we would have a big list of failure codes to try and make that data a little bit more repeatable. Mm-hmm. But they would get all bent out of shape because, well, why do you have this? This has nothing to do with this piece of equipment. You're making me sort through stuff that isn't relevant. And you know, taking that one step further would have ma- increased that buy-in and get that, get that support and feedback. Yeah, yeah. And then it's easier to read afterwards too, because you're not sifting through, you know, a hundred different options. When you're looking at the data afterwards, you're looking at, you know, a couple of options that are contextual. Absolutely. Now, what is the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today regarding work order data? You know, it's it's interesting you say that when we um the the recent products we released around work order data, when we jumped into it, we thought that there was value in work order data, but we didn't realize how much value there was. And we actually found that working through and learning from that work order data is as impactful or more impactful than almost every other sort of new technology that's coming out nowadays. Uh, And we were blown away from that. And so really the takeaway that I'd give to people is you're sitting on this gold mine of information that's going to help your team get better. And it's all low hanging fruit. Um, And so, you know, the sooner you start working with that and learning from it, the sooner you're going to start to see these benefits. Yeah, I agree. It's not just understanding what's failing, how frequently is it failing, those types of things, but it's those logistical losses or support losses that we see Mm -hmm. um, that generally eat up a lot more time than just the failure itself, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And those are relatively easy to fix because they're process problems. They're not redesign of million dollar piece of equipment. Exactly. You know, it's go out and talk to Carl and say, you know, this didn't work last time. Let's try something else. And then you've eliminated that waste right off the bat without having to spend tons of money retooling something. Absolutely. Well, Frank, it's been a pleasure talking to you. But before we go, where can people find out more about you, Fix? Where can they find out about some of this AI stuff that you mentioned that Fix is working on? How do they they learn more? Yeah, for sure. You know, the two places I always send people to is our newsletter is a great resource for all the stuff. We send out tips and tricks regularly out there. Uh, And then the Fix uh, website, you know, we have a bunch of tools up there, you know, to go along with the recent work order insights tool that we released. We actually have some tools that let people plug in what they're seeing in the work order data. And it tells them, hey, here's the problem that you might be experiencing or here's the underlying issues. And so stuff like that definitely the best place to start if you want to start taking advantage of this. All right. Perfect. And then my favorite question, I always like asking, what are your favorite resources or books that you want to share with our listeners, whether it's on data quality, AI, work orders, what's, yeah. your, what's your go-to references? Um, so my favorite websites are all around um, product and product strategy. Um, so I love going, uh, there's a website called Stratechery, um, and they kind of teach you how to think about different problems in different situations and decompose how to work with things. So I love that. Uh, my favorite book, and the title of this book, I'm going to caution you now, is not representative of what the book is about. It's called The Drunkard's Walk. And it's all about probabilities and data and how the way we read data is not representative of what it's actually telling us and how what might seem random actually isn't random and is usually indicative of underlying problems that you can trace and track 
and learn from. Uh, and one of my favorite books by far. You know what? I've heard of that book before, but I haven't picked it up. And you're the second or third person to mention it. So I'm definitely oh, going to have to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, it's so. a great read for sure. All right. Perfect. Well, Frank, I appreciate the time today. I think our listeners are thinking a little bit more about work order data quality and how they can leverage that. So I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing the small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.